This is Coder Radio, episode 499 for January 2nd, 2023. Hello, friends. Here we go again, and welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. Dusting off and polishing his crystal ball, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. What up, twenty three? <laughs> God, man, we're in the we're in the twenties now. And we're we're in the roaring twenties. Yeah, I'll have a gin ricky and uh, girls. It's time to get those flapper dresses out. <laughs> so far, it's 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 roaring like a kitten, but we'll see. Yeah, it's it's, it's more like the whimpering twenties. The way things are going so far, but yeah. you know, but just to keep things normal, you know, just to keep it since it's a new year, I wanted to keep things as normal as possible. I got to start with a complaint. Naturally, so you you know when the MacBook max came out the big 16 inch macbook came out i decided all right let's do it because we usually have you know one nice high-end macbook that we'll do for like the occasional video project or something like that and uh, i wanted to you know toy around with the m series because i waited forever and i got myself an m1 max maxed out 64 gigs of ram i mean the thing's a real beast it's been great for like stable diffusion and stuff so about two weeks ago or maybe a week ago I waited a little bit, but I did the 13.1 update on that machine. And I would, before that point in time, I would have described that machine with things like solid as a rock, absolutely stable. You know, um, the machine I always go to when I have 10 seconds to do something and I just need the machine to turn on instantly and work that instantly connects to Wi-Fi. All my monitors flip right on. The screens don't flicker when the monitors like are being weird. Like that's how I would describe the machine before the 13.1 update. Now, I would describe the machine as trash. I would describe the machine as I may never buy another Mac again. I would describe the machine as the worst, least reliable computer I have. It has been so exponentially frustrating. And every day it gets worse. And I have to tell you, like, it was bad timing, right? Because I was working doubles. So I was I was working 12, 13 hour days coming in 6 a.m., you know, super early when it's frozen outside. So I'm waking my ass up, scraping my windshield, standing outside, freezing my balls off, getting into work. And then I am spending 15 minutes to a half hour getting that Mac working. And it is totally a piece of junk since the update. I mean, lockups, uh, save, save dialog boxes don't render for some of my text apps. Uh, the monitors don't ever wake back up when it wakes up from sleep. It runs for about two seconds and then it just locks up and it beach balls until I hard power it off. When I power it back on, it launches, tries to launch all the applications and they begin to have issues and it creates all these notifications and entries that I have to go clean up. I mean, it is on and on and on. I have never in my life. And I'm telling you, man, my, my heyday of it was fixing Windows XP computers. I have never seen an OS take a a turn like this after an update. It was unbelievable. It was like a different computer, a different operating system. And after the show, I'm ripping it out and I'm putting it on the shelf for six months. I've been using Macs since 1984, 85, somewhere around 86, maybe, maybe whenever the first Mac came out. And I have never in those 35, 36 years that I have been using a Mac I have never witnessed this kind of degradation in reliability and stability after an update. It's unbelievably bad. And I'm, I'm going to have to nuke and pave it when I finally get time. That's just my way of saying, like, we used to give Windows a hard time for, like, kind of becoming a pile of junk. But this Mac has just been getting slower and slower over time with all the little apps and stuff. Like, the applications all run good. Everything processes fast. But just the, re- the reliability of the startup and the shutdown and the sleep and the multi-monitor management, and and simple things like Finder working or the, fi- the file save dialog box working have just gone out the window. And there's no rolling back. It's not like Nix. I can't just go back to my last snapshot. I'm screwed. And I just got to deal with it now and probably nuke and pave and reset the whole thing up. I can't believe it, man. As far as, you know, the tooling goes for this kind of stuff, I just can't. I can't have this happen. I, I, I just... I got to have a machine where I can roll back and I can just say, okay, that didn't work, but I have to keep on working because it happened during the holidays while I was trying to pre-record while I'm working super crazy hours. And I just didn't have budget in there for fixing my Mac. And that's why I set it up because I want this thing to be a rock. I'm super busy. Anyways, I don't know if you've had this experience within a year, Mac, since the 13.1 update, 
But if anything was going to keep me a Linux user for another 10 years, it was this. Uh, so, no, but I just did the 13.1 update at like 10 this morning. So I'm not super thrilled to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling I'm telling everybody I know, friends, family, don't install the update if you don't need to. Oh, wow. Jeez. I don't know what happened. Well, that's really concerning. It's really the sleep and the multi-monitor management is the worst. Like the saved dialog box stuff not working. So I can't because like say you have an unsaved document. So you can't quit because it doesn't want you to quit without saving. And you can't save because the dialog box doesn't render. So your only option is to copy the text out of the document and then force quit the application. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. That's full of suck. I mean, it. yeah, we've talked about this a lot. There are, there are a number of cases, and frankly, with every major macOS update, more cases where I find pop. And I know people, you know, have different distros they prefer. Uh, but where I find pop actually more productive, this goes double. I mean, we're, I'm going to say a lot of nice things about Apple Silicon in our next segment. But the inability to properly run Windows in a in like a useful VM with a, you know the, where I can run emulated Windows devices on top of that is, and I know there's like crazy hacks you could do with Parallels that don't really work super well, is just like a huge problem for me because you know lots of big corporate places use windows devices right and your software has to run well on them uh yeah i don't know i mean i'm kind of cautiously optimistic hoping that the new cosmic stuff coming out will continue the uh you know set it and forget it sort of uh, experience of using pop and i don't know what the hell apple thinks they're doing on the software side I, I have a feeling they're kind of flailing. They don't know what right there. They, uh, you know, somebody convinced me this is not related to Mac OS, but somebody convinced me to try out Stage Manager on the iPad, and that is busted. Oh, really? I hated it on the Mac when I tried it for like ten minutes. That's right. I didn't even try it on the Mac. So it's, I, I know some people like it. I know I have a <laughs> one of our listeners is a something of a Stage Manager enthusiast, but yeah, it's. It, it it seems like the uh, the border of where iPad OS begins and Mac, or ends and Mac OS begins is really something Apple is struggling with, and it's honestly making both worse, right, to the detriment of both systems. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I don't want to get too far into the prediction stuff because I know we got a whole bunch to get to before then, but it really feels like some headwinds are coming together, despite the really, really fantastic strides their hardware team and particularly their silicon team has made god-awful software and incompatibility with the rest of the world i.e vulcan and OpenGL and cuda all these things will add up over time but we'll save that for the predictions because we got some emails and i just needed to vent and i appreciate you giving me that because i can't tell you how frustrating it's been just when you know when you're trying to push it to 11 for a short period of time and then that's when your tooling takes a crap looking back at it i did the update and i noticed things were a little weird at first but i I wasn't in that pressure cooker situation and going forward. And I want, I want to know if other people do this. I think one of the ways I could avoid this is I could just, and I know this sounds really dumb. I could just never let the system sleep because the monitors are like four or five years old. So I've gotten a really good run out of the monitors and the MacBook. I, I, I need it to be, it's a tool. I look at it as a hammer. I don't want to protect it. I want to use it. And so maybe I should just leave it running. And honestly, I'm thinking about setting up some Linux workstation there and I just leave it on because one of the things that drew me to using the MacBook as my workstation at my desk, my workflow makes it so much easier to have all these monitors because I'm taking like emails and, and notes and all this stuff across multiple screens. And I just wanted screens to work for a couple of weeks fine, right? And so that's how the MacBook snuck its way in. And of course it broke that. But I think I could achieve that with a Linux workstation if I just didn't turn it off when I'm really busy and I just left it on for those periods of time. I'm curious if other people have just come to that compromise or if I'm going to boil the oceans. But Vince has a question for us. This is a tough one. He says, I've been doing QA on a large darkmatter.net job for about five years. I've been teaching myself Python and was starting to look for junior dev roles. A recruiter talked me into going for a QA lead role at a startup, and so far I'm really liking it. Well, congratulations right there, Vince. That's awesome. Uh, Vince goes on to say, but I can't shake the feeling that 
QA as a specific role or career is disappearing and I should keep going on the self-taught route and revisit making the jump to a dev at some point. What are your thoughts on QA specifically as a job role inside a dev team as opposed to a task that just everyone on the dev team does? I think he's worried that the trend is not his friend and the dedicated QA role is fading away. Do you agree? Uh, I, I think it's definitely less common. Uh, well, it'll still exist, but th- this is another another trend, particularly at medium and smaller companies. The dedicated QA role is basically dead. But at your larger enterprises, there's going to be some QA, but maybe not the expansive department that it used to be. And it's certainly not a career track role. So if you, my recommendation is if you get into QA at this junior role, you want to start looking at, okay, do you want to be like a manager, um, depending on how your organization does that, or do you want to go into, uh, you know, more pure development? And if you do, the way to really edge your way into dev is by like automating some of your QA with things like Selenium or uh, whatever your platform's, you know, TDD library is. The nice thing about Selenium is you can show that off if nobody's doing it in your org and say, listen, I've automated like graphical QA testing, right? Like you could see making, you know, fake touch points, things like that, which, yeah, it'll also build up your your coding skills, right? Because it is scripting. So, Yeah, I don't feel like these are mutually exclusive things right now at this stage. Now, if you were at my age and you were looking at, you know, the back end of your career, not that I am at, at my 40s, but, you know, like I'm starting to think like, what do I want to be doing by the time I'm hitting 60, right? If you're thinking, what do I want to be doing by the time I'm hitting 40, then you're in a much better spot. And I feel like if I were hiring a dev, like you mentioned Python, having a year or two of reliable, stayed at a job, doing QA kind of entry on the resume only helps you, right? Because it shows that you stuck with something. It shows that you understand that process and then that you kind of leveled up your skills. It shows understandable trajectory from a hiring manager. So I don't think you're limiting your career, but I think your sense is correct. I would keep dabbling with the Python. The snake has a long future, like we just recently mentioned. A long tail, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I don't think you're going to I don't think you're going to have a lack of jobs with the snake for a long time. So you keep that going. But what I'm what I'm trying to tell you is slow down. You're doing all right. And you could take that QA job on for a while, pick up some skills and number one network network dude while you're there you got a good reliable paying job with work it sounds like you like use that time to self-teach like you're already doing and network i didn't see anything about networking in there you got to get that on so that way once you get the python skill set up where you're comfortable and that's going to be your benchmark when you're confident in your skill set or maybe just a little bit before that's when you start relying on your network and you'll get that you'll get to upgrade that career spot that's my my advice different trajectories for everybody but i hope that's helpful keep us posted on how it goes All right. So Joe misses Twitter. He sent us an email where he talked about some really valid reasons why he thinks people are just pretty much talking about Twitter on Twitter these days, just like people on Mastodon mostly talk about Mastodon. But Joe says, I miss Twitter. I can't really speak to the pro or con of the operations of the company as it was, but my curated feed of local news and resources, tech and floss news and breaking world news was extremely valuable. Mastodon hasn't been a valid replacement. I've reverted to RSS for local news, But the loss of the curated headline feed was just the price to pay for a conscientious conscientious objective to what increasingly looked like a editorialization of the platform. I I kind of miss Twitter, too. And I was wondering if you do. Like, I didn't really use Twitter to engage much in the ongoing conversation. I use Twitter to reply to listeners. And I used it how listener Joe here does. My Twitter feed, I have... I I curated basically Floss and Linux folks, and I've curated really smart financial people who have made a lot of accurate predictions and models and calls. And I've just filled my feed with those two things. And I, I still get pretty good stuff, but it definitely the signal has gone down. I really feel like the signal's gone down and I haven't gotten the replacement on Mastodon. I'm not getting that same information on Mastodon. What I'm getting on Mastodon is everybody talking about Mastodon. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I tried to move to Mastodon, and I think I ended up now having to manage two social accounts, which is a big pain in the yep. butt. It, exactly, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm having some... The conversations on Mastodon, I would say, are generally better. Yeah. But because of one of my big interests right now is 
gaming, you know, they're not moving over to Matrix and Mastodon, right? They're on Twitter and Discord still. And it's just the way it is. Right. Well, and when I wanted to expand into financial analysts who I thought were intelligent, it's like Twitter is a better place for that because on Mastodon, I kind of niched down on podcasting 2.0 and open source. And that's all my feed is. And that's great. But one day, about a year ago, I was like, you know, I'd like to actually start looping in other people and start learning about new things. And that took a while. And, you know, it's not easy. Like you, you can easily follow the wrong people. You got to curate them. You got to check their feeds, all that. But it's there on Twitter. I find that much more difficult on Mastodon. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough situation. I mean, I really do like Mastodon. Though. Yeah. And I love the idea of decentralizing that and not having it because I think what all this Twitter stuff is showing us is that a centralized model for this is inherently flawed because it's going to it's going to have a bias in one way and there will always be half the user base that's going to be upset by that. I don't know. I I don't know where this is going to go. I I feel like um, in a way, you were right. Twitter was just too big to actually fail, but it's it's limping along. Like some of the more interesting, like iOS dev conversations, a lot of that has moved to Mastodon. Journalists, a lot of journalists have moved to Mastodon. I've noticed that there's some journalists I follow um, that have just taken over to Mastodon. That's definitely a thing. Just to do a little early predicting, I think 2023 is going to be a good year for Noster, which is like a. A notes relay open open source decentralized Twitter platform. So instead of like you, instead of standing up a Mastodon server, there's a series of note relay nodes that are decentralized. It's not a blockchain or anything like that, but I think it's N O S T R Noster. Jack Dorsey just gave him 14 Bitcoin to help fund the development to get some people working full time on it. Uh, a guy we interviewed on the Bitcoin Dad Pod named Fiat Jeff is involved with it. It's it's an interesting idea because it kind of it, it you, it's sort of like building it at the protocol layer. You've got the note relay system, and now people are building front end apps on top of that. And so it's those are decentralized. The note system is decentralized, but there's going to be like centralized front ends or something. I, I don't know where it's going to go. I think that's what we're going to kind of play with over 2023 as a result of all this Twitter stuff. Mm. Uh, N O S T R. If you haven't seen it, it looks interesting. We'll see. Linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting. The best in the biz. I seriously wouldn't run my stuff anywhere else. Real humans for support when you need it. Super super good performance. Super high-end machines. And a high-end service all around with 11 data centers all around the world. So you can find some location near you or your customers, I don't know what you're trying to do, but you get what I'm saying. they got lots of availability, and they're bringing on like another dozen data centers next. Well, this year. This year. How about that? This year. Um, but I think why I really stick with Linode is like that trifecta. Although, is there a, such a thing as a quadfecta? Because I could make it four things. But number one for me, performance. Number two, price. Number three, reliability, stability. You don't hear us coming on air and uh, apologizing that our downloads were unavailable or our website wasn't working. Never, actually. They have incredible reliability and they have great support to back that up and they have fantastic performance. So it's always working really well. If I could slip a fourth one in there, it's also who they are. And that's why I like them. You know what I mean? Like I like them because the way they are. And what I mean by that is. I like Linode because they had to build a good business to survive. And for them, a good business was great hosting that people were willing to pay for. And that's why they're a business that's been around for nearly 19 years. That's what I like about Linode. The product had to be good for them to survive, right? You get where I'm going. You guys know my whole premise with the loose money and the crappy businesses. Linode was before all of that. They were from the before times when you actually had to build a good product and a good business and survive on that, on the merits of that. So they have great things like S3-compatible object storage that's just totally killer. They have cloud firewalls. They have snapshots, backups, Kubernetes support. They have advanced options in their web dashboard that won't overwhelm you if you're a new user. they got one-click deployments. I mean, they've really focused in on like the key tenets of making this a great platform that lets you run applications in the cloud with speed and reliability under your control. That's it. Simple, affordable, and accessible to all. Go to linode.com slash coder 
to get on that action, support the show, and get 100 bucks. Linode.com slash coder. So here we are, beginning to 2023, and I still don't have an M2 Mac Pro. And uh, now I think they're losing me. I think they're taking a little too long in this Apple Silicon transition. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? Yeah, it's. I'm a little surprised we we had to wait this long for one. Uh, having said that, I'm not sure that at least I would need one. But it's it's an interesting problem because you know the Mac Pro for all the enthusiast class loves it is really not a huge seller for them, right? Yeah, for sure. It did just come out with a pretty pretty big updated model. And I wonder, you know, is this they couldn't get it done? Is it they're trying to wait to get it done? Oh, I think it's they couldn't they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it done. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I for one, am really interested in seeing whatever happens to my beloved iMac Pro line, which I think we know what's happening. It involves a woodshed and a shotgun. Mm hmm. But you're yeah. like, yes, yes, it does. Um, yeah, it's dead. Unfortunately, people love that, but it's dead. Yeah. So. <sighs> You know, I didn't want to spend too much time on this one, but it's interesting that Apple, once again, the hiccup on their transition to silicon is the Mac Pro, right? Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because I think the Mac Pro is an important machine from a showcase of what the platform is capable of, what Apple's technology is capable of. It's an aspirational machine for many Mac users as well. You know, it's sort of like the king machine that Mac geeks can kind of set a goal to get to like you know it's not uncommon for mac users to save up and or or to put it on a credit card and just buy the most ludicrous machine for the bragging rights right like there's a it's just like cars just like luxury cars there's a there's a demographic and a market strategy to having a high-end machine like that and i think they intended based on their teasing and their hinting at the last few apple events i think they intended to ship it by now but of course we've had a hell of a year couple of years and um the china shutdown has specifically impacted apple more than some manufacturers apple's really struggling there's been headlines about that and stories about that so I, I i'm not surprised to see it but i think it's unfortunate because there was a window of opportunity that they've missed but i'll expand on that more uh no doubt though no doubt when they finally get here people will be happy to snap it up and perhaps there's some advantage to delaying it right maybe it gives more time for some other technologies to develop the big question is, you know, is it going to have PCI slots? How does that work with Apple Silicon and all that? So maybe it gives more time for those types of technologies to develop and mature. Okay. Well, why don't we take a little look at C++? It is the end of a year. Mr. Dominic likes to look back. And uh, C++, the tip of your tongue, of course. Always get ready to boil crabs. <laughs> Let's go. So great news in C++ world. The C++ 23 that's right that's right 23 standard is frozen that's great however only microsoft so far is fully supporting the c plus plus 20 standard <laughs> because turns out c plus plus is a pretty gnarly ecosystem and your c plus plus my c plus plus might not be the same c plus plus huzzah in particular gcc and llvm are behind gcc apparently more so and that just sucks to the point where basically a lot of the C++ standard folks are using, particularly in the Linux space, is either an incomplete 20 or back to 17. And in some cases older, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And boy, that doesn't seem sustainable. And it, you got to figure people look at that and go, oh, do we uh, do we bring this up or do we just start over? in something like Rust, right? I mean, I wonder if that's part of the Rust hype. It's part of the Rust hype. There are now other C++, quote, successor languages, uh, chief among them Carbon, which is being supported, I believe, by Google. Uh, same basic pitch as Rust, right? It's C++, but safe. And, you know, it all makes me a little sad because if you look at modern C++, let's say 20 and up, it really is nice. A lot of the problems have been I, I should say, can be avoided, right? With some of the new features, some of the, you know, it's really a much more friendly language that makes it more possible to avoid shooting yourself in the foot. I have to be careful because the, the the pitfalls didn't go away. It's just there's a lot of convenience methods, uh, like the auto decorator, things like that. 
I don't know. There's a great book. It's called Modern C++ Programming. It's about 150 pages. I read it last year. You should read it, uh, especially if you haven't considered C++ in a while. It showed me, at least, some of these modern practices that actually make it really nice to work in. Having said that, yeah, you don't get the safety of a Rust. This carbon language looks interesting. I question how many... There's also like another one called VAL, VAL. How many of the C++ successor languages the ecosystem can actually support? Because despite the cool kid hype about Rust and stuff like that, C++ often tops the most used programming language index is like top five, right? Because there's a ton of that uses it. I mean, I get it. The Linux kernel is adding some Rust now. Uh, but if you look at industry, if you look at the military, if you look at name big places and hard problems, games, right? There's a just a metric ton of C++ running around that I don't think we're going to... I, I, I kind of want to guess throw some cold water to start off the year 2023 and the, we're all going to move away from C++. I don't think we are. I've seen the argument and I'm curious to know what your response is to this. This to me feels very social bubbly to me, but here's the argument that I've seen. It's a game of attrition because there's going to be so much example code in Python and all these other much more accessible languages that are out for free on source repos. And when you have your GitHub co-pilots and your chat GPTs indexing all of these, and then you have your humans using those tools, the belief is the tooling over time is going to persuade people to use the, you know, Python, Rust, stuff like that. And that as new people come into the industry, you know, somebody who's entering the industry in 2023, like it's year one for them, are they picking up C++? Or are they picking up the tooling that has GitHub Copilot? And then the belief is that it kind of pushes them towards, you know, something, I guess, what you call more modern, I guess, what people would call it. But what are, what are your thoughts on that uh, common belief that I actually see echoed right now in the chat room? Uh, okay, so, but there's all different kinds of developers and all different kinds of problems. I mean, if you're developing web applications or just database-powered, uh, you know, stuff like that, right, like, whatever, you you don't need c++ but if you're developing a controller for a small drone or you know a unreal powered video game or are just working with a giant legacy system that's existed running some business in c++ i don't see that argument working now i do see and i I definitely agree with that the vast majority of developers i don't are basically what we would call like web or back-end developers right so, sure, by the numbers, there's probably more JavaScript and Python devs than there are C++ devs. Sure, uh, sure. And as it should be, right? Because every every business, every organization, I mean, down to your local church, right, probably has a website with a little database somewhere that's like, you know, parishioner details. Yeah. <clears throat> and that could just be a flask app. So, well, they're all live streaming now, you know, so they all got to have yeah, websites for the live They got stream. all kinds of crap now, right? They have their Twitch plugin because the pastor's going right. to do some <laughs> do some leap blessings this week. He's got to, you know, it's just I, <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. But uh, The Stack, you know, the Stack Overflow survey came out during our holiday break and they had 53,421 respondents to the you know technology stack that they're using. And I, I put on the professional developers filter and by no surprise to you or I. Number one, by a mile, is JavaScript, 67.9%, followed by HTML, then SQL, and then Python, TypeScript, Java, C Sharp, Bash, PHP, then C++ at 20%. But here's the interesting thing. That was professional developers. If you toggle it to developers that are, quote, learning to code, number one is HTML, CSS. Number two is JavaScript. Number three, Python. So number three was SQL before for some reason. But now uh, learning to code, number three is Python. Number four, Java. Number five, SQL. And number six, C++. Then C, then C Sharp, then Bash, then PHP, then TypeScript, then Assembly, then PowerShell, then Dart, and then way, way down there, Rust. Followed by Kotlin, MATLAB, and R. Hey, but R is getting 5.71%, Eric. That's not bad. <laughs> you know what? That actually shows up. Linux would love those numbers. Actually, Linux did fantastic, but we can get to that later. So your point's well taken. 
you know what? There's always going to be people out there doing that. And just, you know, one of the things that really struck me is there are new people now, you know, new people getting into it that will intentionally learn something like Cobalt. So that way they can support systems that are in production today. It becomes a market specialty as well. So uh, C++, I guess, looking about the same for 2023. Much more of the same with a little bit more new. <laughs> Tailscale, y'all. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices for free. Just that's it. You're good. It's not a trial. You get that. And it's also a great way to support the show because going to that Tailscale.com slash coder tells him you heard about it right here. Now, what is Tailscale? Well, imagine you lived in a world of IPX or NetBuoy, and somebody came along to you and said, I want to tell you about TCP IP. That's the scale of change that Tailscale's brought to my networking. It is massive. It's like going from one small little land where everything was always self-contained, and I had to build these weird, awkward bridges between them, to now I have my own decentralized internet wherever I go. Tailscale is a mesh LAN protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. Tailscale does some really simple and beautiful magic on the back end, establishes direct connections between your machines, and then they talk directly to each other when separated between firewalls or directly over a LAN. And then they've layered on a bunch of really nice features. Like you can share a machine with somebody else. They have ACLs in there. They have magic DNS support in there. They, they, just, they just keep adding new functionality. And it's so brilliant at each step of the way because they're really thoughtful about the way they've done it. Tailscale Send was one of their core products that's in there. You can just use basically like AirDrop between all your machines. Tailscale SSH, I think you get the idea there. Uh, they just recently announced the Crunchy Bridge. I'm bringing this up because say you want to get a Postgres database inside a Tailnet, inside a Tailscale network. You can use the Crunchy Bridge now, which is a Postgres plus Tailscale connection and get a Postgres database in there. You can pull in this in there. You can pull that. And they have all kinds of bridges like that now too. But what I am truly, truly loving Tailscale for is I set up some DNS in there now and all of my bookmarks for all of my web admin pages, for any of my machine IPs, for anything that I talk to now, I just talk to the Tailscale IP because that's the same wherever I go. And if it's local, I'll talk over the LAN. And if it's over the internet, it'll talk over the internet. The difference might be speed, but otherwise, from my perspective, from the user's perspective, so transparent. It's so easy. It's just the best tooling. All right, I could go on and on, but I want you to go try it for free. Up to 20 devices, not for a limited time, not for like, you know, 90 days or whatever. You just get it for free for 20 devices. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there and check it out, too, because if you're a business and maybe in your organization, you want to use this as some tooling. They have some really great features there, too, including expanded single sign-on provider support, two-factor authentication, and a lot more to integrate it with your enterprise infrastructure. So good. I'm just really proud they're a sponsor, and I want you to check them out. Tailscale.com slash coder. All right. I hope that crystal ball is all polished up and ready to go because we've been teasing it all episode. And I know you got some predictions you want to lay down on us. All right. My first prediction is we're all going to convert to C++. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I think someone somewhere is going to sue the shit out of Codepilot, i.e. GitHub, i.e. Microsoft. Oh, a little Copilot legal battle, eh? Yep. Uh, I think it's probably going to be one of two things. Some startup nonsense, but more likely it's going to be like an open source organization that wants to say that it's enabling license violations. Yeah, I wonder if you could see like patent trolls. Remember how they used to form around all kinds of technology and then they... Right. I, and I bet if you took that co-pilot prediction and just expanded it out to all these types of AI things like chat GPT or stable diffusion, definitely one of them is going to start some legal fights for sure. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I can go into stable diffusion and I can say, create me a bunny in the likeness of Pixar's, you know, uh, Incredibles, <laughs> that, that's got to get somebody in trouble eventually. Yeah. By the way, you should check out the Jupiter Tube stills, uh, listeners, if you haven't for a while. Those are all stable diffusion generated. And they've been doing bunny themes. Mad Mad Botter kind of, you know, Alice inspired themes for the uh, coder ones. Woo. So yeah, I could see it. I could definitely see a legal fight. Copilot, you think Copilot specifically though, it probably has the best shot because it's the one that's the most prominent and has been around the longest. 
I think so. I mean, you just made a great argument for like the art generation stuff to to be it too, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, I I wonder too. Like, eventually, you'll see somebody sue it because they, you know, it, using their likeness, either their voice or their their face. This might be happening. I think by the end of next year, or I guess this year now, the Stack Overflow developers that are surveyed, forty four percent of them. We'll say they're on Linux because it's somewhere around the low 40s right now. And I think I think with the momentum it's got, I think it could easily get to 44 percent of developers surveyed. We're on our way to 50 percent of developers surveyed in the Stack Overflow survey saying they're using Linux now. That's a huge thing, man, because you and I have covered that survey just about every year it's come out. And when we first started talking about Linux in this, my recollection is that it was somewhere in the mid 20s. And now there's more developers reporting using Linux than Mac OS. Windows, obviously, it's 62%, right? But Linux, 40%. Mac OS, 31%. And the numbers are about the same for personal and for professional use. More people are on Linux. And then if you were to combine in WSL, mm. that adds another 15%. To the mix it's huge that puts it around 55 percent. yeah i could see it wow dude so i could see the personal use being around 44 percent uh by this time next year that's so remarkable for linux and it's very exciting i think i think it's extremely exciting because i hope it means there's people out there that uh, are interested in content that speaks to the things that are in that platform you're all gonna love this i think microsoft is going to continue to be a leader in the Developer tool space for open source developers. So I'm thinking I'm including under the Microsoft umbrella, GitHub, obviously VS Code. Uh, taking it a step further, I think VS Code is just going to continue to dominate as the editor of choice uh, and the de facto default. So that's, you know, mixed feelings about that, right? Because there used to be a more thriving ecosystem of independent tools. But there certainly is something to be said for particularly new and student devs knowing that there's probably a VS Code extension for what they're doing. Yeah, that's going to continue. That momentum's strong. Yep. Good old Vim still gets love, though. You know, we just did our 2022 Tuxies in Linux mm -hmm. Unplugged, and uh, Vim was neck and neck. In fact, I think Vim might have edged out VS Code by, like, a couple of votes this year. And then it was the just exact opposite last year, VS Code. So it's like they, they're just neck and neck. People love Vim, so <laughs> good on them. Keep it going. Nano for life. All right, I'll throw it at you. This is to kind of counter, I think, your upcoming M1 hype. You ready? I'm going to get ahead of you. You go for it. I think in uh, 2023, this year, wow, Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD will continue to give PC builders the ability to put together systems that can still well outperform the Apple M systems. I, I am really actually like almost bullish on Intel for 2023 because. They've got their own manufacturing in-house. And if so, if we're having issues with China and we're having issues getting things built, all of a sudden Intel strategy, where they didn't outsource the actual building of the chips, might be advantageous all of a sudden. And they could be in a really strong position to take advantage of government funding for local jobs and manufacturing. And uh, my Odroid, my little, my little home Intel-based Raspberry Pi replacement, is so much better than the Pi 4. And I was a huge Pi 4 fan. I had like eight or nine of them. It's so much, it's a better product. And it only uses two watts of power at idle. It doesn't even have a fan for cooling. It just sits there running all the time. It's a great piece of technology. And if Intel can pull its head out of its ass, and if it can navigate its bureaucracy, and if its new leadership can hold people accountable, it has new leadership now, and they can get the job done, they could take advantage of a strategic position that they have right now in the macro environment, and they could do extremely well. While Apple seems to be stumbling, Apple relied too heavily on China. For example, we didn't really mention this earlier, but Apple didn't release any new Macs in the last quarter for the first time since the year 2000, when Apple was almost dead. It's been 22 years since Apple missed releasing a Mac in this last quarter, because they always like to snap up the holiday sales for they, so they get like, you know, they'll put out a MacBook Pro or a, an Air or something like that. 
for 22 years straight. They missed it. I think they are so screwed right now. I think they're going to be able to recover. Tim Cook's a pro. We've talked about that. But I think their stumble right now could be Intel and AMD's advantage, particularly Intel's. I don't know if they're going to close the gap. I'd say it's 50-50. But I do think that PC builders will continue to have options that outstrip the performance on the Apple platform. They may have to build and, and spend for it. And the power envelope will be much higher, but they'll get there. Okay, so my next prediction is the exact opposite. I don't think they will. Yep. I think <laughs> I think the M series is going to, when you balance power consumption and battery life against uh, pure throughput, uh, it's going to trounce them. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. So that's a good one to revisit at the end of the year. Yeah. If the end, if Apple, and they totally could because this is Tim Cook's bag, if Apple gets the production pipeline figured out, they get those chips built. If they hit the market at the right time, the market is clamoring for low energy solutions. And they, the pitch could easily be like, especially in places like the EU, where energy prices are just skyrocketing, the pitch could be replace that power hungry PC with a power sipping Mac, right? With all this performance, it almost sells itself, especially if people could write it off as a tax expense or whatever. Like it, it really, I could see it being Apple's year too. I just, I'm reading the tea leaves right now. I'm seeing that the miss of the Mac Pro shipping and the fact that the iPad's a total lackluster. Apple is quietly panicking about the sales of the iPhone 14. They, their, their sales are way down. In fact, the headline was is that now they're trying to come up with something clever and they're reevaluating the iPhone 15 and what they can do there uh, because they're, quote, seriously concerned over sales performance of the iPhone 14 plus. Also, and this is total, this is total, you know, non-reliable anecdotal data, but I have seen so many posts about iPhone users switching to the Pixel. And I've gotten emails from listeners that are following me along on LUP because I talk about it more there about my switch from the iPhone to the Pixel. I think the iPhone 14 and 13 just haven't been very compelling for, for very many people. And so people are looking at alternatives and they're seeing that the Pixel is basically getting to be about as good hardware-wise as an iPhone. I, I honestly think the 6 was just about there, and I think the 7 is there. You know, maybe the iPhone 14 is still a better piece of hardware in terms of performance and battery life and screen and weight. But I'd say, like, you know, the 7 feels like it's as good as an iPhone 11, 12. This feels really good. And I think a lot of people, I mean, this is just my anecdotal data, but based on all the threads I'm seeing and the emails I'm seeing, a lot of people are trying the Pixel 7. They got bored with the iPhone. It's just, I think it's going to be a rough year for Apple, but I hope, I hope you're right because it'd be a lot more fun. My last prediction is, and I think it's already underway, but I don't think it'll really be realized for at least a quarter. Twitter is going to pivot away from the Elon story or the character of the day, which is what's been driving Twitter's character of the day. Who is the person Twitter is talking about today? Almost always it's Elon. And I think that's a strategy. It's kind of the Trump strategy to drive outrage, drive traffic, get people talking about Twitter, get the news to put the tweet up on the screen. And I think they're going to transition from that to features. And I think you're going to see outages a little bit more as they do this because they're going to be deploying to production more. And I, I suspect Elon's philosophy is sort of the Zuckerberg philosophy of move fast, break often, but fix often. I think Elon's a push to production. He, he leans towards risking the breakage in order to actually get the feature shipped, because then he feels like, we'll just ship the fix. And I think you're going to see Twitter be a little bumpy for a bit while they do this. But inevitably, by the spring or summer, the conversation is going to be about the new things Twitter is doing, and maybe Elon's in the background. And it's really easy to do this, because they just get a feature set lineup. They've already had some in the bag, they just hadn't shipped. They get those shipping. Elon just starts making noise over at Tesla or SpaceX again, gets the press writing about that, I mean, it, to tell you the truth, I think it's already underway, Mike, because you and I pre-recorded an episode where we where we speculated about Elon and Twitter that was like a, a, a week and a half ahead. And by the time that episode shipped, nothing had changed. We went from we couldn't talk about it without a day going by and the story had changed to a week and a half went by and nothing changed. I think it's already underway. The transition is kind of like, like I said all along. He comes in, he breaks a lot of things, he makes a big stink, he takes all the heat, because he's got tons of FU money, 
he, I don't think he expected Tesla to get hit this hard. Again, I'm not saying he's a genius. I'm saying this was kind of the goal all along. He gets to be the jerk. Nobody can stop him. They affect the changes. Then he transitions out. I don't know if he's going to transition out yet, but I think he's going to try to transition away from being the thing that everybody's talking about all the time. And instead, they're going to start shipping more features. They recently just shipped view counts on tweets. Yeah. I think that's an interesting addition. I like that. I think that's a good signal. It is good. It, yeah, it's good. You, you, you have uh, actual performance metrics, whether you like them or not. Yeah. And I think it's going to be more of that. And I, I hope, I guess part of this is me hoping that we can just stop talking about Elon and that people can calm down because I don't like it when everybody gets all worked up about any one person and we start to, you know, get a cult going. Yeah. So I hope that fades away. Although I think the damage is done for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people listening. I think they're done, which is good. I think that's, that's healthy actually, ultimately, but I suspect it will start to become history by about late spring, early summer. I like it. All right. So my last prediction is a uh, kind of a layup. Uh, no new big platform, a la the iPhone launch or anything even close to that for indie devs this year. Oh, so that means no VR, AR. No, no. I think, in fact, I think we're going to continue to see a significant R and D pullback. Yeah. At, you know, at, as the economy continues to be sus. This is one you and I are in mostly complete agreement. In fact. I could even see they're going to be strategic and really smart about it. They're not going to be this obvious, but I could even see subtle messaging about how they're cutting back in R&D and focusing on things that make money. Yeah. And, I, and maybe that's going to be through expectation setting. Like they'll be very clear. We are only spending X percent of our budget on this or they're going to like, you know, as a team, we're adding more focus to like they're going to be subtle about it, but they're going to communicate to the market, to Wall Street, that they're focusing on value and they're scaling back on research. Even though competitively, these rich tech companies have to continue R&D. Yep. It's almost as if they need a boost. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Look at you getting smooth in the new year. Back home baller. Damn straight, y'all. Boostagram. All right, so we got some New Year's boosts into the show. The Golden Dragon came in first with a row of ducks. And he says, uh, I loved that pre-recorded show you did. It still had that new news smell. Yeah, that's what we were saying, Golden Dragon. It's like. For once, things didn't change out from underneath us. True Grits came in with uh, some Enterprise sats. And uh, he says, uh, did you guys get your kids Steam Decks for the holidays? Nope. No. I kind of. I mean, I'm not saying not to say I'm disappointed. But I had I did hope that maybe one of my kids would ask for a Steam Deck. And I kind of laid down hints about, oh, you know, look at this. Sure has been a great device. We sure have enjoyed it this year. But nobody asked for it. And I'm not going to get a device that expensive that they didn't ask for and that I, I'm not absolutely positive they'll use. So, yeah, no, I, I'm still fighting the, you know, you may not have Roblox fight. So, oh, don't let don't let up, man. It is such an issue. I, I can't even tell you. I, I talked to actually a, a, a friend of mine and she was saying that it's the worst thing she ever did because then she eventually decided to take it away. And oh, man, she described it as her son was having Roblox withdrawals. Yeah, it's it's such a money pit and there's so many scams on there. I just hate it so much. I really I really think that's the positive side to the deck is you buy the games and there's none of that crap. I just well, that's why I'm all about the switch. To be honest, like I don't care that the Joy-Cons break, you know, like once a year I have to buy new Joy-Cons, <laughs> whatever. Uh all my pro controllers, they all died this winter. I guess they got too cold. None of them hold a charge. All of them died at the same time. And I've got like Four or five of them. And you know, those things are like 60 bucks a pot. Oh, I buy the knockoffs, too. Buy the the Power A ones are actually pretty good. Okay. Well, I need something new. Yeah. If if you want to go wireless to like 35, but yeah, honestly, what, what the hell? Cords were good enough for us. 20 bucks. And they come in cool characters. There's like a Sonic one. I uh, My son has a Zelda and a Mario. I think it's like Mario, not Sunshine, Galaxy, Galaxy themed one. $20. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's so bad. It's so hacked together. My current solution is I've got like one of those anchor mini USB-C port charging things. It's got like five or six USB ports on it. And then I've just got A to C cables feeding all of the controllers. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. All right, MacGyver. Well, I know. I know. <laughs> Pixel Jones came in with 5,000 sats. Uh, happy holidays, man. Uh, I know nothing about coding. 
but I am a tech enthusiast and I love to hear the Dominic snark. I've been enjoying the show and listening since mid 2020. Uh, plus one for the Jar Jar coin. That's all right. <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, looks like Gerbert is our Gerbeard. Gerbert. You're our baller booster with 25,000 stats this episode. Love the show. Love JB. Listening since the early mid Lunduke era. It's an era. It's an era. It's an era. Yeah, you you started right around then. Uh, I think you've uh, got the best JB lineup across the show since I've been listening. I just wanted to put a nudge to minimize the politics and the weekly outrage. I get it, though. It is the world we live in, but my two cents. You know, I think uh, our commitment is to keep the uh, political discussion focused on the tech industry and how it might affect the listener. And beyond that, I don't think we really care. We can, uh, we can rant, we can rant on the live stream for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what the pre-shows <laughs> were. Anonymous. Oh, what are you doing November 5th? I want to know what this guy's doing. Mm, I wonder if they're actually anonymous or if I was just a bad person. <laughs> Didn't copy the name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause it's early. Mm. I wonder. Uh, so, cause this is funny. This is great. 10,000 sats. Thanks Chris for the hockey reference. Moving where the puck is going in episode 497. For the boys, man, no problem. Since you're both in hockey markets, I'll expect more of that. Also, as the accountant, I agree with Mike. Our tax code is a disaster. I've avoided tax accounting for this very reason. It's a dirty game and the rich get the breaks. While I disagree with some of your economic takes, I love the show and appreciate the different perspective. Happy New Year. Cheers. Happy New Year's. Yeah, I appreciate that even though you don't agree with our take, you still listen because I know that can be challenging. I try to do the same thing. So I I appreciate the efforts. You know what I mean? Um, Because sometimes we say things that probably. uh, Oh, thumbs. I got it, Mike. Uh, It was thumbs that sent that in. Thank you, thumbs. I I appreciate that one of the hottest places in the country has one of the best hockey teams because Florida makes lots of sense. Yeah, what the what is that? What is up with that? That's one of our things, man. You got your own stuff down there, don't you? Got like gator wrestling and stuff. I know you. I know you think you're funny, but we straight up do. We always also have like giant python hunting season, which is exactly what it sounds like. Honestly, I'd watch a gator wrestling. I'd watch that. I, you know, now, the gators aren't the most deadly thing down here. Everybody says gators, gators, gators. Now the gators are. I mean, they're definitely the the assholes of the pond, but those stupid, it's the boas. Is it the boas or the pythons? Burmese pythons uh, actually prey on the gators because they're, they're in, invasive species and they're super dangerous. Wow. So every year, no matter who the governor of Florida is, they go out and they're like, yeah, just go and start. We They pay you. It's a bounty. Go out and kill them. I mean, the most dangerous thing we got in our neck is like cougars and bears, but they're pretty far out. You got to go into their territory for the most part. Not always. And who doesn't like cougars? Yeah, I know. Cougars are great. Well, you have Microsoft up there, though. So you do have Visual Basic and Access running around. Mirror Mortals podcast boosted in with a row of ducks. Hey, I just finished up tuning into Coder, Chris. Uh, thanks for the recommendation. I recommended they check out Coder and our, our look at uh, the Python uh, stuff after uh, Lex had his interview. They write, I'm glad to hear you think Python will have some longevity. Seems to be the Spanish equivalent of programming. Relatively easy to learn and useful in lots of places. <laughs> I'm curious, do either of you speak another language? And if so, is there any overlap between learning code versus spoken, a spoken language? Happy New Year, Kyron. Well, thank you, Kyron, and Mere Mortals Podcast. Great show. Another podcasting to show out there. Mere Mortals Podcast. Do you speak any other languages, Mr. Dominic? Uh, I used to speak some Italian at home, and I studied. I used to speak Spanish, studied Spanish forever. But funny thing is, the minute you learn Objective C, you're it's like getting mind wiped. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a long time. I got a little bit of German that I've learned vicariously, and a little bit of Spanish I've been picking up because uh, most of my family has decided to learn Sp- uh, Spanish, and so. Now I'm paying for like the most expensive Duolingo subscription possible. So that way, like five of them <laughs> can all learn Spanish, but they're doing great. And man, are they sticking with it? That Duolingo app. If you ever want to study an app that keeps retention. Oh, my God. I think my wife's been using Duolingo daily for almost 500 days straight. I think my nearly 12 year old daughter is something like on a 300 day streak. A 12 year old is on a three day. I mean, a 300 day streak like. It really, the retention system in the Duolingo app, it should be studied by future generations. Um, all right. And then uh, the immunologist boosts in with our last official coder boost, 3,333 sets to say thank you for introducing me to Fountain and the value for value system. Also, just a lot about Linux in general and all the other great podcasts from JB. I enjoy listening a lot. Well, thank you, 
immune. I really appreciate it when people grok what we're trying to do. You know, value for value is sort of the open source version of financing. We're kind of putting it all out there. When we receive funds, how much we receive funds, who sent it. It's a radical concept and not everybody's used to it. So I really like it when somebody gets it. Now, thank you for the booze. We got a we got a, ba- a good batch of booze for Gamer Radio as well. Would you do you want to read a couple of those? Do you want to or you could read those privately? Hell yeah. Me so loving it. Sir Lurks a lot came in. With 13,370 sats for uh, Gamer Radio. And an awesome username, Sir Lurks a lot. That's really good. I know. Yeah. And Lurks showed up live today, too, which is really awesome. Nice. Lurks writes, I listen to Coder Radio because I enjoy the two of you talking tech and business, even though I'm more of a sysadmin, not really a coder. But this was fun. I'm a tinker, not a gamer. I'm not sure it's for me, but I might be in the minority as far as gaming goes. So cheers. But Lurks a lot wasn't huge on it, but everybody else that boosted didn't seem to love it. Airrock boosted in 1,500 sats. Glad to see something new being tested. Looking forward to more of this. Golden Dragon came in with a row of ducks. I'm boosting to continue Gamer Radio. Mike, since you enjoy Commander and Pokemon, you might enjoy Gym Leader Challenge format for Pokemon. It's a single format. Give it a search. And he also sent in a row of baby ducks to say, I find that 99% of mobile games are very predatory, even when they advertise free to play. That's because they are. <laughs> it's uh, Reference Chris's comments on Roblox, right? So. Yeah. And, you know, Apple's solution to save it, to fix it, was the arcade. But that's just a $10 paywall where you get a limited subset of apps. It's not quite the solution, right? Because it didn't work. I think Apple's real solution is to rake in that sweet, sweet 30%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OA guy one forty forty eight. please do another episode. There's so much to talk about. And you both have great stories to tell. And then Eric came in, our podcast, with a big old boost, 68,000 sats. I'm sending a boost for the amazing Gamer Radio episode. I vote for a future Sega retro episode as I own every Sega system from the Master System to the Dreamcast. My kind of guy. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on the highs of the Genesis era. And yes, the 32X Tobacco too. Oh. If you have space for a guest host on that episode, I'd have a mic with many opinions and memories to share. I can vouch for that. I've actually had Eric on a podcast before. He's a, he's a good dude and I can attest to his audio quality. I'm also super impressed to see Eric, you know, on the boost doing the boosting thing, getting his message in over there, like adopting the new tech. Like it's awesome to see too. Uh, and true grits came in with an enterprise boost. Make it so. Uh, I specifically tuned into the feed for gamer radio. I'd love to see more JB gaming content. A good example of an old MMO that stays alive. Do the community is pirates of the Caribbean online. Wow. Yes, that's right. That is right. Forgot yeah. about that. I was, that was the game I was trying to recollect or legends of the pirates online as it's known. Now I've been playing it a lot recently and streaming it on Twitch. Well, people love it. So there'll be more news on Gamer Radio soon, right? You and I are going to chat after the show. Yep. Yep. Um, If you'd like to send a boost into the show, there's a couple of ways you can get a new podcast app and upgrade to a podcasting 2.0. Newpodcastapps.com. Or if you don't want to switch apps, you can go grab the Albi extension, A-L-B-Y, get Albi.com, and then install that, load it up with some sats, either directly or if you got some somewhere or you like Strike. And then just go to the podcastindex.org. We'll link it in the show notes. Right there from the Podcast Index website, you can send a boosty into the show. You don't have to switch apps. You can do it from your web browser if that's how you prefer, because that's kind of how I prefer, actually, to tell you the truth. Soup's easy. We'll have a link in the notes. And of course, you can go to coder.show slash contact if you'd like to send us an email in the old way. We still read those every single episode and appreciate them very, very much. I want to take a moment, too, and thank our members for supporting us over the year. That investment in the content means that even if ad sales dip or the boosts go down, whatever it is, the production continues on. We can pay Drew. We can make sure the episode goes out the door. That's massively valuable because we got more emails for crappy ad pitches on the show this week than we did actually listener emails. And there's just weeks where that happens. It's the holidays. And I just I just am so grateful that we just hit delete. (laughs) Don't even entertain them. And that's that's thanks to our members. You can become a supporter of this show at coderqa.co, or you can support all the shows for the whole network over at jupiter.party, and you get all the shows ad-free, and their special features. Like, this show has the uh, Coderly support uh, episode. You get that every single Coder. Oh my gosh, it's another quarter. Oh my gosh, you know what that means. We gotta do a Coderly. About midway through, we're gonna figure out the t- time to do Coderly. <laughs> then we're gonna reschedule it twice. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Uh, but yes, that's coming up too for our members. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there uh, anywhere you want to send the good people? Uh, just add to Manuku on both Twitter and the Elf site. We'll be good. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> elf, elephant, not elf. I got Christmas on the brain. Yeah. You got the bird side and the elephant, the birds and the elephants. I birds and the elephants. Elf on the social shelf. I'll say go follow the show over Jupiter.party. I, I, I mean, you could watch it over there. You know, I got video and you got the, I don't know. I, no, you know what I'll say? I'll say this. Coder.show slash subscribe. Put it in your podcast client of choice. Listen to it when you feel like it. How about that? That's what a podcast for. Links to what we talked about today. Coder.show slash 499. If you'd like to join us alive for episode 500, we'll be live Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern next week at Jupiter.tube. It's going to be... Well, it's going to be a regular episode, but it'll be a big number, and that's exciting. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on 499, and we'll see you right back here for the Big 500.